This episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western is the leading provider of venture debt and banking services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Designed specifically for venture-backed startups, Brex is the perfect corporate card for fast-growing companies. Head to brex.com and sign up with the promo TFR to get waived card fees for life. Welcome to the podcast about investing in startups, where existing investors can learn how to get the best deal possible. And those that have never before invested in startups can learn the keys to success from the venture experts. Your host is Nick Moran, and this is The Full Ratchet. Today we are doing a special installment of Why I Invested. I've asked Justin Label of Interloop Capital and Ryan Corey of Startup Cybrary to join me today. Uh, We at Newstack Ventures recently invested in Cybrary alongside Justin, and I thought it'd be fun to talk through our thought process and thesis on investment. So to start out here, Justin, can you tell us about your background and involvement in venture capital and startup investing? Yes, sure. Thank you for uh, hosting us and putting this together, Nick. Uh, Yeah, no problem. Ryan, it's great to uh, be with you as always. So this is Justin Label. I'm the lead investor for Interloop Capital. Interloop is a small seed stage firm that I started in 2014 when I moved to the East Coast after 17 years in Silicon Valley. In 2014, I moved with my family to the Baltimore, Washington area, and since then have been making seed stage investments primarily in cybersecurity companies in what we call the Cyber Corridor region between uh, Northern Virginia and Baltimore. Prior to Interloop, I spent uh, 10 years at Bessemer Venture Partners in Menlo Park in Silicon Valley. Started early in my career at Bessemer as an associate, stayed on for, as I say, 10 years as a partner for the last several years. And for the bulk of that time, focused on cybersecurity and related infrastructure software and services fields. So at Bessemer, one way or another, I was involved with 12 of our cybersecurity investments over those 10 years there. And as I say, cybersecurity is now my, my primary focus here at Interloop Capital. And Ryan, can you tell us your story and how that led you to the launch of Cybrary? Sure. sure. Thanks, Nick. Well, I've always been entrepreneurial from the start. I was selling lemonade as a kid, and that just escalated. Other things included starting up a, um, a website on the side during my professional career and then having that get acquired. Uh, I've always been a big fan and, and just really loved marketing. So for the majority of my career, uh, I've been in the IT and cybersecurity training industry. And to be quite frank, I was part of the, the root of what is now this big problem. So for years, I had been selling and marketing cybersecurity training to people. And the problem is right now that cybersecurity training is accessible to far too few people. It's very expensive. It's extremely impractical, especially given that basically the technologies and techniques that you would learn in a class right now that you just paid $5,000 for could turn over as much as 100% in, in as short as one year. And then the courses are very inaccessible in general. So if you, if you think about it, there aren't a ton of people out there who are malware analysis engineers or reverse engineers. And having one company run a class for a handful of them is difficult to do. So the industry sees very frequently cancellations in classes. So the outcome is obviously this burgeoning skills gap of over 1 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs, 300,000 of them in the United States. Uh, I mean, hey, even 20,000 alone are here where we are in Maryland. And so I was a part of that problem for a long time. I had many conversations where I was sitting down you know, across the table from somebody 
and I would have a conversation with them about how they wanted to take the next level course, whatever it was that was in their career path, but they didn't have $5,000 to pay us as a company. And if their organization or their company or government agency wasn't going to pay for it, then they simply weren't going to acquire that skill set in that year. So that was the genesis of Cybrary. It was having several hundred conversations like that that led us to realize that something had to change in the field. In terms of timing, eventually online training became a highly accepted form of learning in the field. You take, for example, Plural Sites, Meteoric Rise. Mixed with the growth of free MOOCs or massive open online course providers like Coursera and so on, and the cybersecurity market's inherent love for free open source and equality. I realized that it was only a matter of time until someone did what we are now doing. And I don't believe that there is any team out there more qualified to do it than we are. Our team has unique capabilities of cybersecurity training experience, strong industry network, growth marketing capabilities, and a deep understanding of the market in general. Can you give me sort of the one-line elevator pitch on Cybrary? Sure. Cybrary is the world's largest cybersecurity professional network. With free online cybersecurity training as our foundation, we are helping to advance the industry by building a thriving community that provides anyone, anywhere, the resources needed to learn, grow, and showcase their career. Tell me more about the problem here. You've talked about education. You've talked about training. You're building this, this online community. What is the problem being addressed? And is it one of just training or is it bigger than that? It is bigger than that. So it's not really just training. Training is the foundation, is the reason that an individual would want to come to Cybrary in the first place. But then when they get there, they realize that there is this entire professional network to, like I said, grow, learn, and connect with other people in their field. So the obvious problem is that there's 1 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs out there. So you could think about that. There's, there's negative unemployment in cybersecurity. It's just amazing to imagine in this hyper-growth industry. But then ultimately, putting together all of the resources that an individual needs to further their career in one place online is the bigger picture here. So is a, is a job placement going to be the end of the funnel for, for your users? Are they going to select out of the community at that point? Or is this more of an ongoing place where they can sort of build their profile and their network of of other professionals in their field? Sure. So absolutely, job placement is part of the picture that we're building here. We see that as a no-brainer that we have to invest in that. And we need to get companies paying attention to Cybrary and the professionals that are developing their careers there. But no, this is a lifelong commitment. You know, we, we are working hard to to establish a user-generated content model to where we can be a repository for one's knowledge. So Cybrary is building that capability to where these users can share their discoveries and their findings. But then over the long term, we want to keep building a reason for these users to come back throughout an entire career life cycle. So we are very aggressive at keeping our ear to the ground and trying to discover the latest trends, techniques, technologies, and so on that are emerging in the cybersecurity field. And obviously, we have a terrific amount of data flowing via our community to tell us more about the trends. But as we see those trends and we realize that they're going to become critical to a cybersecurity career, we then build a course around that. So in some cases, those are very, very advanced or even in some cases, high leadership classes. Um, but we're, we're good at that. And so we want to be able to provide content for everybody across the entire spectrum of a cybersecurity career. 
Yeah, tell us more about what the market looks like. What's the total number of professionals in cybersecurity as well as uh, nascent professionals? So people that will be added to this this growing market of um, cybersecurity individuals and professionals. Sure. So um, it's hyper growth, as you know, right now. There are approximately 4 million people working in cybersecurity right now. And that number within the next year, year and a half is supposed to expand into about 6 million. So let's talk a little bit about the statistics behind our user base, because I can show you a little bit about yeah. where this kind of this potential reaches. So with the classes that we offer on Cybrary, there are topics in there and there are cybersecurity careers and skill sets and so on for people across a wide spectrum. We are about 20% coders, people in a computer science program, they're looking to get a software development job or something like that after college. A lot of times cybersecurity and secure coding principles are overlooked in those types of degree programs. Well, there are courses on Cybrary that a person who is just a pure coder could benefit from. But then little people know this, cybersecurity actually has a wide subset of jobs that are for non-technical folks. So people that would be more, their careers are more centered around business, accounting, leadership, project management, and so on. There is a large sector of jobs that require people like that. Governance, risk, and compliance is a big term in the field. And typically you'll find people like that around those topics. So we have about 15% of our users fall into that category. And then, of course, there are your, your highly technical folks, the people that are learning penetration testing, malware analysis, social engineering, those types of things. Can you talk a little bit about traction and community development, uh, both at the time that we invested as well as currently? Sure. So at the time that you guys decided to present us with a term sheet, we had about 100,000 registered users. We were approximately a top 40,000 most highly trafficked website globally, and we were growing by a few hundred new users per day. We were also at the time working really hard to acquire those new users. So we were focused on building our learning content out and then establishing some new sustainable growth channels. So that was a few months ago. Now, just a few months later, we are the largest cybersecurity training company in the world. We're a top 30,000 website globally. We have 335,000 registered users. We spend almost no time or money on marketing right now. And yet we still grow by about 1,000 new users every day. We definitely have a very promising virality factor as well, which wasn't present at the time when you guys presented the term sheet. So for each new user that registers with us, social sharing by that new user brings in more registered users. So virality is starting to uptick as well. And that virality really comes a lot from engagement. We're building, we're building features into our community that, um, that give people more of a reason to come back on a daily basis or, or weekly basis. Whereas before it was, we really built just an education model, a lot like a, a Udacity or a Coursera. Um, and so now the focus has absolutely shifted over to community building and engagement. Do you have a sense for how many users you can expect to acquire via an existing user on the platform? I do. Yes. For every user that registers, that user is currently worth 1.15 total users. And let me state that we are attributing only inbox-based traffic. So we are basing that number on the amount of traffic that comes to our site and registers as a new user strictly from an attributed mailbox or inbox. Got it. So these are Existing users that are inviting their friends or their colleagues that are in the industry to 
to come join the network and uh, and start interacting within the platform. Correct. Great. Are there any other companies that have built verticalized communities like you're doing at Cybrary um, that may be good role models for the company? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time examining other models because, you know, we we have companies that we want to be like when we grow up, quote unquote. So we pay a lot of attention to GitHub and how they've done things in the in the coder community. I think that the key takeaway for us there is the repository factor that they have. You know, you can show your work, you can share your work, you can make others' lives easier, you can connect with people and, and help them and mentor them and so on. And so we are we're trying to put as much of that into the Cybrary model as we possibly can. We want a place for people to show their work, share it with others, and, and teach others from it. Another great one would be GrabCAD. It's a mechanical engineering community that was, at the end of the day, after a couple of years of being around and growing, they essentially took the place in their industry as the only relevant community online for mechanical engineers. And that's important to us as well. That That's something that we're working towards on a daily basis. There really is no clear winner as a cybersecurity professional network online. We have by far the most traction out of anything out there, and we're working towards doing that. Do you have any sense for the, the stats on either a GitHub or a, a GrabCAD when they were growing and doing various fundraisers? Yeah, for GrabCAD, in their case, and we took a look at their growth model and their curve with data available on Crunchbase and TechCrunch and some of the press stories that are out there. They received an $8 million Series B in October of 2012. Starting out that year, 2012, they, they had 70,000 users. And then later on in the September, October timeframe, they had reached 250,000 users. So that helped to earn them an, an $8 million Series B. And then just about two years later, from what's available here, looks like they were acquired for $100 million at a user level of 1.25 million. So obviously impressive growth over the next two years there. So our growth curve coming out of the gate is similar. We have a bigger market, we believe, than the mechanical engineering market where cybersecurity professionals, a bit more of them out there. But the traction that we've had in the first year here um, and the organic growth that we're getting is putting us on a pretty similar trajectory. Yeah, certainly a different market for Cybrary than for this other company you mentioned here. But they have the vertical community for mechanical engineers, and uh, you found that the the platform is is a good comp for what you guys are doing. Very much so. Yes, got it. Let's transition over to Justin. So, Justin, we talk a lot about deal flow on the program here. Can you talk about how you first found Cybrary and how the relationship looked early going? Yeah, sure, absolutely, Nick. So, one of the first things I did when I relocated to the East Coast from Silicon Valley. Um, and started spending full time looking for seed stage deals was I joined a number of the angel investment groups. So in the greater DC area, there's a pretty decent history of early stage investing and, and growing some important companies. Um, and a lot of that started with the uh, local angel investment groups, one in Baltimore, one associated with the University of Maryland, a couple directly in DC and Virginia. <clears throat> and so I first met Ryan through his pitch to the Baltimore Angels Group. Although I should say it was really the pre-pitch. So like at a venture firm, a lot of these angel groups work the same way. There's a series of email applications, which leads to eight or nine being selected per month to give a very quick presentation, which leads to three or four of those getting to present to the whole group. Yep. And some percent of those, you know, will get a check. So uh, I met Ryan at one of those uh, pre-pitch, the first in-person opportunity to talk to the Baltimore Angel Group. 
And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Cyber at the time, he wasn't passed on to the to the next round where he could you know, pitch the whole group for cash. I saw the um, I saw Ryan's pitch in person. And uh, I don't mind saying this uh, with him on the podcast right now. Uh, his pitch was pretty raw. Let's call it raw. At the time. <laughs> yeah. I think this was, uh, you know, February or March. They might have been six or eight weeks post launch. And there was a lot that was just coming together for them at the time. I mean, I say honestly, it was so raw that even though I'm probably one of the people in the region who would be most primed to have that story resonate with me, it, it didn't really click with me either. So we kind of went our separate ways, and I didn't immediately think a lot more about it. But I did, you know, something was tickling the back of my head because Ryan, I don't think, had crystallized the story at the time. But there was clearly something important about a place where this rapidly growing industry, which desperately needs to suck in new talent and desperately needs to retrain existing talent, you know, a, a single place where that could all happen. I don't think at the time Ryan had much of a revenue model put together for that or necessarily much of a set of metrics that was going to make that work. But he was clearly on to something. And the idea lingered in my head for a while. And I can I can say that one of the things that really brought it together is there's a uh, researcher in the industry who I respect quite a lot. Her name is Georgia Weidman. When I found out that Ryan had convinced Georgia to create and host the uh, advanced penetration testing course on Cyberary, that really put the notion of Cyberary in a different realm for me. I mean, that that suggested it was, you know, it wasn't just slapdash content. It wasn't just some things you pull off of some other sites like YouTube, but this was really high level professional content. And, and quite frankly, Georgia and people like her have almost cult-like followings for the work that they do. They're extremely well-respected. And if that was the quality of content that Ryan and his partner Ralph were able to uh, attract to Cyberary, that made me think about it in a different way. So for those couple of reasons, I reached back out to Ryan. We started having a series of conversations. And I mean, he had already made a lot of progress in the intervening uh, weeks and months. But uh, the idea started to crystallize that uh, this was a place where leading with training and education content that you could build a perhaps the most important community in the cybersecurity field. And I became convinced pretty quickly that if you do that, the revenue opportunities are, are massive. There's just a, a gaping need to attract new talent into companies and government. There's a critical need to push out new information about new attacks, new responses, new vendor training content, new products and services into that community, that there is a, a revenue opportunity along every one of those the certification process in the industry is pretty broken, and I think there's a, an opportunity to disrupt that online. And so just all these different vectors, once you build a community, I think you could take it somewhere. So that was sort of the evolution from an initial pass to something that I started spending more and more of my time on in the late spring. Yeah, so when did it switch over from uh, being interesting and being sort of something that you were going to track to being a potential investment in can you walk us through your thought process and maybe your thesis on that investment? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a little hard to put your finger on the the moment where you know you know you're going to invest, but you know you're not going to invest until all of the pieces are in place. And right. so for me, especially at the seed stage, that really leads with the idea. I like to know that the thing that the entrepreneur wants to create, you know, that the world is going to be better off for it, that the world is sorely lacking this thing. I mean, it's so hard. The entrepreneurial process is so difficult. You meet so many challenges. There's so many incumbents. You know, you have to be doing something unique and important, I think, to to propel you to take all of that on. And as I said, Ryan's first attempt to convey that fell flat for me. 
but over a series of conversations with him, it really, uh, I think we pushed each other's thinking and it really evolved into something that I began to find very, very compelling. So after or alongside the idea, you have to believe in the team that you're backing. And that was a very critical part of this investment thesis. You know, coming from Silicon Valley, where I think entrepreneurship is sort of, you know, in the baby vitamins, and you kind of take it for granted, that's, that's not necessarily true in the greater DC area. I mean, around here, there's some fantastic technical talent, some absolutely world-class cybersecurity talent. And yet, crossing that with someone that you would trust your money or time on a very open-ended idea who has a true entrepreneurial spirit to drive it through to success, that's a little bit harder to find. Yeah, Ryan and his partner Ralph, though, they do nothing but start companies. You know, they've started four or five companies between them. They've all been successful. You know, they're not used to being brought into large corporations and sort of being handed the keys to the the kingdom and make it work. They 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 only know how to make it work from from scratch. And uh, Ryan and Ralph strike me as every bit as uh, entrepreneurial as any successful founder that you'll find in Silicon Valley or elsewhere. And so that was a really important piece. The third piece was that this wasn't just a good idea and a good team, but it was actually working. That's also a little hard to find at the seed stage. Sometimes, depending on the uh, type of company, you might just have to take a leap based on those two things alone. But in Cyberry's case, you know, on very, very little capital and a lot of scrappiness, they had already made something work. So you know, I saw him in his February pitch, and he was able to talk about tens of thousands of users and I reconnected with him in April and he was able to talk about 70 or 80,000 users. And, you know, by the time we're started talking about a term sheet, it's 100 or 110,000 users. I mean, you know, yeah. that that's, that's something really important that's happening. It also creates that momentum for you to say, well, I think I'd rather be in this in May at 110 than in October at 250. So that was the third critical piece. And frankly, if I were running a $50 million seed fund, that would have been the end of it for me. I would have cut him a half million dollar check and have you know, joined the board and gone from there. But that's not my model. I'm investing mostly personal capital and building small syndicates of trusted friends. And so the right target for Cyberry was a $400,000 seed round. You know, I can't speak for that directly. And so the last piece for me was, hey, I can love it all I want, but if I can't work with people that I like and trust to, to do this together, it's not really going to work. I can't have my chin hanging out there with a $75,000 investment, not knowing where the rest is going to come from. Right. Um, and so the final piece was really connecting with you, Nick, and, and Newstack as somebody who uh, also believed in this vision, who had another great network that could help us build a syndicate and put it together. And so knowing that you know, I had the chance to work with some compelling co-investors that we could confidently fill the round that Cyberary needed, that was really the final linchpin. And that's when we moved to, to lock this up and to make it happen. Awesome. This episode of TFR is brought to you by Brex. Your startup is going to change the world, and the right corporate card will get you there even faster. The Brex corporate card for startups offers 10 to 20 times higher limits than traditional corporate cards, automated expense tools, and huge rewards like four times points back on travel, three times back on restaurants, and two times back on recurring SaaS spend. And all with no personal guarantee. Sign up at Brex.com and get waived card fees for life with the code TFR. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Assure. For over three years, Newstack has been raising capital on a deal-by-deal basis, allowing individual investors to select each startup investment. Assure is the company behind the scenes that powers this process. When we have 10, 20, or 30 angels investing in a startup, we can't put all those folks directly on the startup's cap table. 
So those investors are rolled into a special purpose vehicle that occupies just one line item on the cap table. And Assure handles all ongoing fees, finances, and K-1s for us. We pay a one-time upfront fee and avoid all the required yearly admin filings and bills. If you run an angel group or you would like your LPs to invest in deal-by-deal sidecars, go to assure.co slash TFR for 20% off your first SPV. And this episode of TFR is brought to you by Pacific Western Bank. Pacific Western specializes in providing financial services to startups, growth stage companies, and their investors, helping to navigate financial obstacles by providing access to funds and expertise. Pacific Western's customized products and team of venture banking specialists provides a banking experience designed specifically with startups and VCs in mind. If you run a tech company or if you invest in tech companies, it's strongly advisable that you build a relationship with the folks at Pacific Western. Go to pacwest.com to learn more. Yeah, I mean we we had a, a similar experience just uh Yeah, I'd be I'd be I'd like to turn it around to you Nick. I, I'd like to hear your process in getting to know them and how you decide to pull the trigger. Yeah, sure. Um so like a lot of founders, Ryan reached out to me after listening to the podcast. It's no big secret that the program has become a source of high quality deal flow for us and I've actually found that most founders listening to the nuances of investor ideology are pretty evolved entrepreneurs. Um, This really isn't the program for selling entrepreneurial hopes and dreams (laughs) like many other podcasts. Um, So the listener base is not a group of casual fans with half-baked ideas. So when I get decks, I take them seriously. And Ryan reached out with a straw man for Cybrary. They had just launched at the time and it was very early. Uh, And I've told Ryan this, but I thought it was a bad idea. It was so early that there wasn't really any traction Um, I didn't believe they had the ability to acquire users in a meaningful way, but Ryan was very impressive. And on this one, I had the benefit of time. So like a lot of businesses that are too early for funding, uh, I had the luxury here of following along and helping him out with his pitch deck where I could. So I did. And in all honesty, I had trouble believing the numbers as Ryan was sending them over. The growth of Cyber was like nothing I'd seen. I think they ramped to over 100,000 registered users in only a few months, and over 70% of those users were active, uh, spending over 10 minutes per session on the site. Um, it was just like nothing we had seen. And my partner and I started looking at comps. So even as far back as like early user acquisition community sites, you know, we looked at things like Facebook and LinkedIn, and then we pulled some more modern examples. So... I can't remember if we use CB Insights or Mattermark, but we pulled all of the user community platforms that had been funded and looked at their growth rates, looked at their user acquisition, and Cyberary was incredible. The level that they were at for the stage they were at was like nothing else. You know, other different user communities out there, engaged user communities, were pulling down funding rounds at serious valuations, not just seed rounds. I'm talking A, B, C. So we were just excited about what they had built and had to do some digging, of course. You know, I I was questioning if there was really a problem being solved here. And upon doing some diligence, it was clear that the community was passionate, engaged. They were net promoting at a very high clip. So it wasn't a fake user growth acquisition story. I mean, these were real users that were engaged at a really high level. 
And then, you know, ultimately, most of these businesses that we're investing in are are kind of binary. Uh, they're either successful or they're not. But on this one, in addition to the tremendous upside, there was a great deal of existing value in what they had already built. So when you look at what online user communities sell for, this community already on paper, from our calculations, was worth multiple millions of dollars based on what they had built. So I didn't really see a downside in this one. I thought the value already existed, and they were only accelerating that value, and it could be a force multiplier. You know, we don't need to be sector experts at Newstack in everything we invest in, but we do require the founders to be sector experts. So the team here was not only a great growth team and a great hustle team, but they knew their industry. They had significant domain expertise, many years operating within this industry. And that's what we like to see. We like to see founders that are super comfortable with their sector and can do circles around us. So ultimately, Justin, you know, I felt like the thesis was simple. They were addressing a problem in an incredibly high growth sector with an extremely large TAM. The founding team had more hustle and better communication than 99% of the entrepreneurs I interact with. There was real value there on the table. There was great defensibility and opportunities for exponential value creation from the online community and the network effects from that. And I had the benefit of time on this one. So I met Ryan and his co-founder, Ralph, many months before the fundraise, and I got to observe not only their progress, but but also their behavior, which can be a luxury in this business. So I just want to say that uh, that's a great story, and I feel like there's a lesson in there for any entrepreneur who's listening. I mean, you have on this call right now two of Ryan's most passionate supporters, both as him himself as a founder and for Cyberary, and yet... We both told him no the first time we talked to him, and, <laughs> yeah. and we're ready to, you know, walk away and not spend any more time on it. And so there's a a lesson in there for uh, persistence and crafting your story, and and the traction covers up a lot of other problems. You know, even if the story isn't completely gelled yet, making some progress on what you say you're going to do speaks a lot louder than any pitch deck can. And uh, I feel like that's a big part of what uh, Ryan did to turn both of us around. Yeah, if anything, I I feel like my response only further galvanized him, but. Yeah, Ryan, going back to you, you know, I know you had a lot of interest in the round. And as you started growing, you were getting a bunch of calls from investors and even some brand name VCs after posting the profile on AngelList. So can you talk about how you chose Interloop and NewSec? Sure. Well, for you, Nick, your case, uh, I had extracted so much great learning content from you and your podcast that I felt like I owed you something at that point. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just kidding. Um, in both cases, network reach was a major decision point for sure. I felt like our strength as a team came from the operational side. We knew the industry. We, we knew the model that we wanted to roll out and, and felt like we could execute on that pretty well. But we really needed guidance from you know, investors who would help us with each step of the venture building process because that was something that we were so green at. So Justin knew the field of cybersecurity clearly very well and it was extremely well connected there in that space. And both you and, and, and Newstack and Interloop understood our model. Eventually, even though, like you said, you said no initially, <laughs> you guys understood what we were trying to build. And, um, and that was not a given by any means. We had many conversations where people just flat out didn't get it. We're a user-focused model as opposed to a revenue-focused model initially. And you guys believed in our idea. You believed in our operational capability. And we knew that you would help us with the venture-building steps and, and expand our network. 
So that was the reason for the decision making. Yeah, I want to wrap up here, but just out of curiosity, what was it like building a a growth hack user acquisition based company in DC where much of the focus is on startups monetizing very early? Sure. So like Justin said, when he first saw us at the Baltimore Angels pitch, we, we kind of felt like we had been laughed out of the room at that event. And we've had a lot of conversations like that. More conversations are, uh, well, what's your, what's your revenue? You know, because revenue is a scalable, repeatable revenue model is the only way that I'm going to see any traction whatsoever. And it takes somebody who has experience or knows the value in an engaged user base for a platform that is making a significant impact on on a sector's life, on a, on a group of users' lives. And uh, it takes somebody who can see that to have a good conversation. So here in the D.C. area, it was, it was harder to come by. But fortunately, I had contacts in you, who I believe I blindly reached out to, and Justin, who bit early. You guys saw the model. You saw its potential. And, and then the traction was a lot easier from there. And, and like you said, we had some you know, brand name, large VCs reach out to us. But I believe our traction was what spoke in that case. I th- honestly, I think it was like a matter mark trigger. You know, our traffic had exploded over the course of a couple of months and, and we probably set off some alarms. So we got some pretty enjoyable phone calls. <laughs> well, awesome. Like Justin said earlier, to all the entrepreneurs out there, don't be afraid for the cold connect. Just treat that as the beginning of the relationship as opposed to an expectation that you're going to get funded on that on that first call. But guys, thanks so much for the time today, Ryan. I know you're busy building a business. So thanks so much for carving out the time here with us. And, and Justin, I know you, you've always got a bunch of deals going on. So um, thanks for taking some time away from that to uh, talk through your thesis on Cyber. It was a pleasure. Thanks for putting this together, Nick. Yeah, thanks, Nick and Justin. Appreciate your time, guys. That will wrap up this installment of Investor Stories. Head over to thefullratchet.net to leave a comment, sign up for the newsletter, or find resources discussed on any of the episodes. Until next time, remember to over-prepare, choose carefully, and invest confidently. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.